You are listening to Help for HD Live, the first podcast created for families living with Huntington's and juvenile Huntington's disease. Don't forget to find us on iTunes, Blog Talk, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. You can also search over 500 archived episodes and other projects at helpforhd.org. To watch us in person, find Help for HD TV on YouTube and subscribe and ring the bell for notifications on new content. Help for HD Live is going on air in five, four, three, two. Hello, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to Help for HD Live. This program is made possible because of Teva Pharmaceuticals, Neurocrine Biosciences, the Griffin Foundation, and the Hereditary Disease Foundation. I'm your host, Lauren Holder, and today I am excited to be partnering with the Hereditary Disease Foundation on a new monthly series where we will be bringing on young, young investigators working on HD research. Um, so this is especially exciting because it means we will be able to learn what's going on from the newest scientists and researchers in the HD community um, and getting the newest stuff coming out. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And today we have two young investigators on with us, Charlene Smith and Gong Her Wu. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having us. So what Hi. I'm going to do is I'm going to have each of you just kind of share your background um, and, you know, a little bit about yourselves. Okay, I think Charlie, you can do first. Sure. Uh, hi, I'm Charlie Smith. I'm an assistant project scientist at UC Irvine in the lab of Dr. Leslie Thompson. And I've been working on HD research now for the past eight years. Um, and I've basically, I mainly used stem cells uh, that have been donated from patients uh, to be able to study what goes wrong in the disease and hopefully try and figure out something that will work as a therapy uh, for uh, patients. Yeah, and I'm Gong He Wu. I'm the research scientist in uh, Dr. Wachu's lab at Stanford. And my background is uh, I'm interested to use the uh, cryo-electron microscope or cryo-ET to investigate Huntington uh, disease. So we try to use the image to describe the story of the Huntington and find out the mechanism. You use imaging. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I have a huge interest in the imaging side of things, so I'll probably have a million questions later on. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for joining me today. The first question I always love to ask when I have anybody new come on is why you chose to get involved with HD and HD research. Charlie, will you go first? Sure. Um, so it takes place back. Uh, 2008 or 2009 I was in an undergraduate lecture at Cardiff University and they started it was a genetic mechanisms of genetic models of disease or something like that uh course and Huntington's disease was um one lecture and I don't know what it was exactly but for some reason that lit a fire under me and I just wanted to do HD research and um so that kind of changed my path completely. I was hoping to go to med school, but I decided to change my mind and went to get a grad, go to grad school, get a PhD, 
and yeah, work on Huntington's disease. So I spent my grad work trying to make stem cells into the cell type that's most affected in Huntington's disease. And then I kind of wanted to work on Huntington's disease during grad school, but I ran out of time. So then it was kind of like, okay, who could I work with to work with Huntington's? And that's when I found uh, Dr. Leslie Thompson's lab. And yeah, that's how I, that's how I got here today. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, my story is a little bit different uh, because the, how to say, the signaling uh, does matter for the electron microscope observation. So the neuron actually is a very good uh, model system because they contain a, a neuride or axon or dendrite. The signaling is less than 500 nanometers. And so the neuron is very good sample for the cryo-ET observations. And and when I got my PhD, I'm just thinking that if I can uh use the cryo ET to investigate neuron disease, it would be good. And the hunting team uh they contain only you know like CAG repeat is a simple mutation, but it causes the uh serious uh disease. So I just say okay, I just think that maybe I can uh focus on this simple disease to uh be the milestone. You know if I can take some images of from the Huntington disease neurons, maybe they will uh, give us a lot of the, how to say, the hint to investigate other neuronal disease. Yeah. So I joined was lab and was okay, you have a project and it's associated with Huntington and cooperate with Leslie and Charlie. So I just said, sure, of course, I'm interested to do that. Yeah. Have you guys been able to actually meet people in the HD community yet? Uh, yes, so um, UCI has um, a charity called HD Care, um, set up by a family here um, in the area. And so with that, we've done some scientific um, uh, scientific workshops. Um, we've also done some uh, charity, uh, like fundraising and things for the um, for the charity. And that funds research at UCI and the clinic at UCI. And yeah, I've also done a lot with HDSA, um, like taking part in the walks and things and the bowler farms and everything that seems to happen here. Um, but yeah, it's 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 so sad. It's a great community to like be part of. Like everyone's so willing to help, um, and everyone just wants uh, a treatment. And it's 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 a great community to part, be part of. And same with the research community. It's a great community to be part of, but. It's kind of sad that that's what's brought us all together, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, um, what we found is the HD community for some reason is very unique. And so when you mix the, the scientists with the people, um, that's why we have longtime researchers in HD because they become part of the, the HD community and the HD family. So um, I always... Think it's great especially you know i just went to convention and um seeing people out there dancing whether it was a a researcher or somebody with hd it's a really cool thing to see um, we're just very unique in our community yeah definitely is so let's talk about your research tell me tell me about your research 
about research. Okay, I can start with that. So you know, I'm the uh, in the beginning I said that uh, I'm interesting use the image to describe the the story or find out the mechanism, right? And uh, that's very for me that's challenging to get a good sample. So that's why I work with Charlie. And I also make a joke for Charlie say, okay, you make the most difficult part for me because I don't know how to prepare a sample. And Charlie said, okay, he take care about that part. So he need to take care about IPC cell data uh, differentiations. So we spent a couple months or years to uh, see the cell on the grid. I think uh, Charlie did a great job. So when I got the that grid, so I can take the, when I got the first single TA image, I am very excited because I can see the microtubule, actin, mitochondria, ribosome, a lot of the cellular structures, which we only can see the cartoon in the textbook. Okay. And then when this step, when we got this step successfully and I am very excited, I say, okay, now we can looking for our targets. So I think Initial our target is to find out the uh, hunting team proteins aggregations or the the filaments in the neurons. So I spent a lot of time and actually I don't get the results or I did not get the images. So I'm a uh, uh, very disappointed and I discussed watch Leslie and Charlie. And Charlie said, maybe we can look for other features or anything different between the control and uh, the mutants. So I go back to a couple hundred tomograms and, you know, just randomly take a look, like a look at a movie or record a history movie. You know, it's a little bit boring and go one by one, one by one, one by one. And then I find out that maybe mitochondria have some weird stuff because uh, I found some dark, uh, you know, large and dark materials in the mitochondria. And they, might, they kind of phenotype only exist in the hunting team mutants. Then I go to the wild type, I say, yeah, really? I'm convinced by the image say, yeah, this kind of phenotype only happen in the hunting team. Then I, I, I and wild just contact Leslie and Charlie say, okay, we find one strand, can we do more? And then, you know, that means Charlie need to grow small cell and take care of them. So we got a lot of different strengths, uh, the mutant strength with the different Q repeat, right? And then we find all these kind of features. So now we say, okay, we find a, we call biomarker. Then we say, okay, now we have a biomarker. Then we will ask Charlie maybe uh, she can explain what is the next step. So they, they are interested in something, you know, like a protein or candidate treatments or any uh, mechanism that may can, it can be used to treat the patients. Yeah, but we find a biomarker. So I say, okay, Charlie, we have like uh, the marker we can observe. Do you have any idea or any treatment you are interested to do to rescue the, the filaments? Then, okay, Charlie, yeah. you can explain the experiment you did. Yeah, so I mean, like just going back to how kind of crazy this experiment is, um, 
So we're growing these cells, like cells are obviously really tiny, but we're growing these cells on these really, really tiny grids. They're like, um, obviously this isn't great for a podcast, but it's maybe about half a centimeter like wide and it's a little round circle. They're really cool. Um, each one of them costs like $20, $30. So when you're trying to prepare them, it's kind of scary because you end up losing a load. Just um, <laughs> So it's like, oh gosh, no, I don't want to be losing all these. But um, yeah, it took a while to get growing these cells on the grids. Um, took a lot of optimization. And then, yeah, when Gong Her was able to come back with these images of, yeah, the mitochondria having these. Uh, so the mitochondria, like the powerhouse of the cell, they produce the energy uh, that's needed for the cell. And we know that that's something that's affected in Huntington's disease uh, patients. And seeing that there was actually something structurally wrong with them was really cool to like, okay, this could be something we can then fix. Um, and Leslie's lab has been interested in uh, a protein called Pius-1 uh, for a long time now. And that has been the focus of my research for the last eight years. Um, and Pius-1 is kind of responsible for modifying the Huntington protein. Um, it adds little tiny proteins uh, called SUMO to the Huntington protein. And it does it to a lot of other different proteins as well in the cell. And it seems like when we uh, reduce the amount of this protein in mice, for example, or in our stem cells, uh, we see rescue of certain things. So Joseph Achava, a previous graduate student uh, in Leslie's lab, he's now um, uh, graduated a, a long time ago, uh, but he showed that it rescued behavior in mice. If you reduce the amount of this protein, he saw that it reduced the amount of um, uh, the Huntington accumulation that we see in HD samples um, and also rescued um, the like the number of synapses, so the number of neuronal connections with each other. He saw that there was an increase in that. And then another graduate student, Eva, kind of went on to do the similar experiment in a different mouse of Huntington's disease and saw that it changed the gene expression change like there's transcriptional dysregulation in hd so there's gene expression that shouldn't happen and genes are being expressed that shouldn't be expressed um and what she found was knocking down pious one kind of rescued that and it's in some ways rescuing things that we knew were wrong in hd already or things were going wrong in hd already and so we thought why don't we try knocking down pious one and then giving our samples to gong her and see what he sees and it was so amazing that we were able to basically reverse or even prevent this phenotype from happening, preventing these um, like ag like large, dense, what we call granules um, within the mitochondria. And like the mitochondria structure has um, like little uh, invaginations um, or protrusions within the mitochondria. Um, to kind of help increase the surface area that's able to make the energy. And the granules that we were seeing in there was kind of disrupting that. Um, and Gong Ho was able to see that. And when we were reducing the amount of Pius-1, um, we, yeah, 
these granules disappeared or they returned to what we saw in um, uh, in unaffected individ individual iPSC neurons. Um, and so, yeah, it was really cool to see that change. That is really cool. So reduction of, of the PIAS one truly, I mean, changed things. Um, and you mentioned, Gongher, about finding the biomarker. Are you talking about the neurofilament light chain? Uh, biomarker is like, uh, we want to find some abnormal uh, organelles or the features from the Huntington. Right, so previously we think the Huntington will aggregate, will find the fibula in the neurons. So this is our initial uh, target, but we don't find that. And uh, the explanation is because IPSC may be still in the very early stage. So the Huntington did not find the aggregate yet. So now we find out that, okay, the mitochondria, and we find the other interesting organelle, it contain uh, double membrane, and they have a sheet-like aggregate inside. They have electron-dense uh, aggregate inside. And we don't know why it's that. Okay, and the, these two features, mitochondria with large granules and the double membrane content uh, uh, sheet-like aggregate are only exist in the HD system. So we find that in the iPSC cell and also the uh, mouse primary neurons. Okay, so now these two features are like we, we call biomarker. So when Charlie do the treatments, rescues, or any, uh, how say, any drug treatment, I will pay attention to uh, look at these two features to figure okay. out do we do a reduce or they did not affect, and we will report to Charlie. And we uh, try to figure out um, which drug is uh have the effect to do the rescue? Which one does not? And we also pay attention to or we also investigate the the compound of the RNA granules or the, the granules in the mitochondria. So I think Charlie do so we do the mass spec to figure out which gene is upregulate or downregulate find out the gene difference between the wild type and the uh, HD. And uh, I think Charlie knocked down GI SF1 is associated with the mitochondrial RNA granules. Okay, so if you knock it down, the RNA don't, uh, cannot create uh, um, the RNA granules. The mitochondria should not have uh, the granules. And then we find out that if we knock down the gene, the abnormal large mitochondrial granule, the size is reduced. So now we got a conclusion that granules is uh, formed by the RNA. Yeah, so now I think that's good. We, at least we find out what the component of the large granules in the mitochondria. So we think that are RNA granules. Yeah, and now I think we are doing, I'm doing is I try to, uh, figure out what the component of the sheet aggregate in double membranes. Now we try to purify that and uh, to investigate what is the compound is Huntington or other stuff. So now I'm doing that. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, that's awesome. And so 
what are your, what are your next steps with this information? Um, you know, obviously you guys are going to continue. Uh, so kind of what are next steps and what are you hoping to find? Um, you yeah, know, so where, where I, I can do the best. Yeah. So now I know Charlie's, uh, the experiment is focused on the single cell, like the IPAC cell. Now I think Charlie are able to create an organoid. Now the organoid is very popular to investigate the disease. Yeah. So now I, I'm developing the workflow. So we are able to, uh, get a tomography, like you can get the end strong resolutions in the organoid or the mouse brain. So we plan that actually we already got successfully established the protocol. So we are able to get a tomogram from the hunting team mouse brain. So the next step, we are thinking that if we uh, can find out the difference between the wild type mouse and the hunting team mouse, in the future, we may able to see the patient sample because we just need one millimeter of the brain tissues. It's very few and we are able to see the result in two days. So we can take a little bit tissues from the patients, then do cross uh, focus ion beam and tell tomography. And I can tell you the mitochondrial status or are there any abnormal features in the patient brain size. So now we are, I'm doing that. I'm developing that technique and uh, would like to cooperate with Charlie because he can provide, you know, different organoid, the hunting organoid and with different treatment or if they have any interesting, uh, you know, potential drug, we, we can uh, take a look and see, uh, are there any difference? Yeah, so that's my, my plan or I'm doing that right now. So you can literally take one millimeter of brain tissue and take yes. a look at it and have yes. results in two days. In two days. And then you know mitochondria healthy or abnormal. Yeah. Or My mind any... is blown right now with that. That is so amazing because that's so fast. Yeah. So you previously, if you do the room temperature, you need to do the uh singing bed data, you need to fix it, you need to take it like a week to fix your sample. Right. And now I, I just need to take a little tissue, do the hypersure freezing, then I can go to FIB and I even can give you the 3D volume of the brain tissue so you can see the axon, you can see the uh, nucleus, and you can see the mitochondria in the axon or in the cell body. So you can find out uh, the tissue is correct. Now an interesting part is we find out there are a lot of empty space in the hunting team mouse brain. Yeah. So now we already know okay, they have some defect. And then we are, because now we are really thinking we can go to the clinical side. We can get a sample from, from the patients. Yeah, because we have, I have other projects work with eye disease. So we really got a, like a rating up from the patients. And we try to do like a, the free quail fib and quail ET observations on that. So I think it's doable in the hunting team patient. And we just need a little bit very few tissues and we can give you the result. Sign me up. I'm down. <laughs> that's so cool. I'm just like shocked over here because that's just the coolest thing ever to think that research has gotten that far that we can literally, I'm just, wow. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and you know we we have it. The only I think why have this kind of equipment. You know we are the why have the national center. So we have I or I have almost unlimited tea and time. And we need if we consider about money. If we talk about money, about the paper I and the Charlie publish, so I calculate is around like six hundred thousand dollars on that paper because I collect like three hundred fifty days the tea and time. And each hour is like uh, two thousand dollars. Mm. Yeah, but because it's was equipment, so it's free. So right. I <laughs> yeah, so we just collect data and uh, so when Charlie gave me a sample, I, I just okay, I want to collect data. I just run overnight and day by day and do the reconstruction and share the information with Charlie. So I think she actually do a great job because my experiment is uh, run by microscope. But Charlie need to take care about the cell. They take a lot of the time, you know, like every day need to change the buffer and observe them, and then to care about the cell is uh gross health healthy is they happy or others? Yeah. So my my job is okay. I make sure the microscope running well and I can gather data completely. Yeah. That's but I, I, yeah. So I think now we still need to try because they are able to contact with the you know you know the patients or all the samples. Yeah. So yeah. I think I'm very exciting to work with Charlie in the features. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, a cool thing. Like the, the cryofib stuff is so cool. So it's like, we, we were always like, Gong was always limited with what he was able to view in the cell because it was, the cryo ET was only allowing you to view like the really thin parts of the cell. So we were limited to like the, the long thin axons and dendrites. Whereas the cryofib kind of like allows you to slice through the cell. So it like, what is it? It uses like an ion beam, right? To, yes, correct. Basically strip off parts of the cell. So it's kind of like, you know, when you go to the deli and they start slicing the ham, like it's kind of just doing that. So then you can just see different parts of the cell. And it's really cool because now we're not just limited to the edges of the cell, like all the axons and dendrites. He can, yeah, look at the cell body, which we were always unable to look in before where the nucleus is. Um, but now, yeah, he can go into tissues and the organoids are going to be really cool because that that for us is going to be the closest to a human brain we can get. We can try and make these like mini brains or organoids in a dish. Um, my, part, my part with that is it takes a lot longer. So rather than giving gong her cells after like 30 odd days and he's able to see things wrong with them. Um, we're now taking them like 60, 100 days. And so it's it's going to take longer, but it's uh, it's it's work in progress and it's definitely uh, cool to be working with. So so the goal is human tissue, right? Like that's, that's what you want to get to. Um, and you need you need live human tissue or do you need from from autopsy? Like the reason I ask is like I donated my dad's brain for research. Mm -hmm. So do you guys take from that or do you need that live tissue? Um, I assume that it's a lot easier these days to take live tissue, but um, I don't know anything about that part. So <laughs> that's why I'm asking. Uh, for the for my quality, because uh, like the advantage of a quality is that we don't need to do any chemical fixations. So we don't need to real live tissue or we I will say fresh tissues. And we just need a little bit of free tissues. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So I think if you, 
you have, you know, if you dead, you donate your brand, well, we can just take a little piece. Then I think we are good. And then other uh, researchers can, you know, can take or do the fixation and then share the, the tissues and do other stuff. Yeah. But acquire because we want to see the native status. So everything is native without any fixations. Yeah, so we can uh sub like uh, and strong levels, uh resolutions. So we are able to see uh in a single particle we can see the hydrogen bond. Okay, but in tomography, yeah, you can see the hydrogen bond. Even you can see the amino acid side chain in a single particle, and now the quality is not that high, but we are able to see like the tubing in the microtubule. So that's a resolution we can provide. It's just yeah, so, so cool. Um, <laughs> sorry. So you can think about it. We can answer the questions with Charlie's drug treatment or her samples. So we can tell her, oh, what is the difference and what is target you're interested in. So in the future, I think we are interested to see like a Goju and mitochondria junctions. Mm -hmm. So we can see the junction and to figure out how does the calcine uh, transfer into mitochondria or other stuff. Oh, we can see a nuclear pore. That's the easy way. We can see a nuclear pore. So we can see a nuclear pore is open or closed. We have that structure already. So we cannot allay any uh, hunting team protein around that or cause any features change of a nuclear pore. That's very cool. Very cool. Yeah. So, so I say, yeah. So Charlie, what's next for Pius One? What What do you've got? What do you have planned? So, um. A lot of the Pius One work we did for the paper with Gong He, um, we used CRISPR edited lines uh, to reduce the amount of Pius One. So it's a heterozygous knockout that we have. And I have that in a couple of patient lines and a couple of um, unaffected lines. Um, and that's a great tool for us to be able to use to see if we're reducing the amount of Pius One, whether we can prevent things from going wrong in HD. Um, we also have Pius one where we can knock down at certain points during differentiation. So are they neural progenitors? So an early, before they become neurons, if you knock it down then, or if you knock them down when they're actually neurons, which would be more similar to uh, what you'd be do, potentially do in an HD patient. Um, we have other tools for that. And our lab is working with a couple of groups to make an ASO. Um, so kind of like the Huntington ASO that was used in the Roche trial, um, use that and also uh, drugs that can be taken orally or something uh, that would reduce the amount of Pius one. Um, so we're still a little bit far off from anywhere near clinical trials, but I think we're gathering a lot of data that will push us there and we have more work going on in the lab now with more mice uh, as well to kind of help this story along. And hopefully we're, we're kind of working with the potential of going to a drug already as well, like at the same time, because we've gotten so far now that we think this is a real viable target. That's amazing. Um, and so are you, what else are you working on other than Pius one? Is there, are there other things that you're, I'm assuming you are, because as he, like Gong Her was mentioning, you know, you go cell by cell. So I'm assuming that you're working on other stuff too. Um, I mean, a lot of my stuff right now is 
pretty much focused on Pius one. <laughs> that's okay. I mean, if it shows benefit, yeah. I mean. Yeah, no, it's, that's for us. I mean, we are working um, to, what else are we doing? Yeah, for the potential therapeutic benefit, um, it would be Pius one. Uh, right now we're trying to um, kind of analyze more what's, like, why does Pius one work so well? Because it would be good to know mechanism um, so we can figure out what's it going to target and like maybe then who would be the best patient candidate for uh, receiving it like if we know mechanism like is there something going like is there something in a specific patient that's would be better for a pious one treatment or not like um but yeah it's it's right. a little bit yeah Earlier, earlier in the disease versus later in the disease, um, you know, pre-symptomatic, pre-manifest type stuff. Um, you mentioned yeah. um, reduction rescued behavior in mice. So that's even, I mean, that's decades before movement, um, yeah. which would be amazing um, in my category. And because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm gene positive, the reason I'm so into research is because I'm gene positive and I'm considered pre-manifest, um, mm -hmm. though I do have some, um, some symptoms. Um, so, but not movement. So yeah. yeah, like super exciting to hear about that. Um, my next question would then be, if you're looking at just the brain, would it be beneficial to look at other parts of the body in HD? Because we know obviously HD affects the heart. So then I think about well, looking at all of this stuff in other parts of the body of HD patients. Yeah, so uh, we have a graduate student in our lab, uh, Nikki McClure. She uh, is about to embark on this project where she's looking at stem cell derived uh, uh, cardiomyocytes, so the cell responsible for making the heartbeat. Um, so she's going to be using that with her, uh, with some samples. Um, and kind of in this, what she's planning on doing is looking at interactors with the Huntington protein um, in the heart cells. Like, is there anything different in the heart cells, in the brain cells, and in the intestinal cells as well? She's going to be looking at. So she's trying to she's trying to go outside of the brain, but still stay inside the brain. Um, so yeah, she's going to be doing a lot of that, um, and I can easily give her some cells to look at um whether pious one knockdown would be beneficial in the heart as well or in the intestine so that'll be cool and that's a, a fairly e fairly easy <laughs> uh addition for her but yeah this is all so exciting i'm really glad that you guys came on to share it um just because i i think people need to realize like there's so much research going on and for those of us who definitely feel this sense of urgency, um, you know, and like we're running out of time, the fact that you guys are able to do some of this stuff so quickly now is amazing. And to see down to the detail of being able to split it open and see inside, like, I can't imagine like, I want to see that with my own eyes. I might have to come and visit, but <laughs> I can't imagine 10 years ago. That wasn't, I don't even remember that being talked about 10 years ago. 
you know, not even a blip on, on the research radar for HD. So I love hearing this stuff and hearing all the new things that you guys are doing. And I'm so grateful that you guys are doing stuff for HD and continue to work for us. Um, so thank you for coming on and sharing this stuff. That is our honor to work with you guys. Yeah. And I, I also want to bring you the news. It's like a hard and instant uh, which try to introduce. I already set up a protocol for both of the samples. So if you have a sample, just send to us. So I use, actually I do the second experiment. So I can see the intestine or the, you know, like the CDS in the intestine. I can see the actins. So okay. yeah, so I think uh, if you have the tissues or the cell just send to me and I know how to handle it. I have, and uh, in our group, we have the, you know, Rahel, she's working on the heart disease. So we can see like a scale meal or something, the contract unit. So mm -hmm. we are able to see a myosin and uh, acting junctions. So I think we already have a technique to invest get the different organelles, organelles, uh, organelles, yeah, like a heart or instance, not only the brain. So we have a protocol to do that. We can use a quad fib on this one, intestinal tomography. Yeah, so the core is is ready. It's uh, ready. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's awesome. Core is ready. Okay, <laughs> you just let us know what kind of tissue you want to process it, and we can process it for you. Yeah. So I just want to introduce to you guys, the tool is ready. Wow, already set up everything. We have almost all the equipment to do the experiment. Yeah. Very cool. Well, do you have any final thoughts for um, the HD community before I let you go? Uh, I just want to thank the HD community for donating that, their time uh, to listen to us and also donating samples for us to be able to work on and study and hopefully that we're able to find something to yeah really treat this disease because yeah we, we definitely need it and um yeah yeah me too i appreciate all the support from them thank you thank you very much and, and yeah this, guys go ahead charlie i was to say this wouldn't be possible without um the hereditary disease foundation as well who sponsored both of us uh during our early postdoc careers um and so, yeah, that's really cool. And they are featuring more. Uh, HDF will be featuring more young investigators on June 20th at 12 p.m. Eastern time. So uh, you can register for that webinar on their website. Sorry, my, my son started knocking at the door. Um, <laughs> yep. So I have here HGF Young Investigators Seminar on June 20th. We're going to be having some more um, young, young investigators join us on the podcast every month, um, which is sponsored by the Hereditary Disease Foundation. So I just want to do a shout out to them. Thank you so much for sponsoring that and making that possible. Um, and thank you guys again for coming on. For those listening, please make sure that you're tuning in every Thursday um, for a new show, we're still doing our HD Uncut series, um, and we will be having Chris ba Brown back on talk to talk about his recent visit to Wave Life Sciences, um, which I'm really excited about. And um, we also have Help for HD has hype, the virtual hype coming up on July 1st, and we have an in-person hype in Michigan in August, as well as our Help for HD symposium in October on October 13th, I believe it is. 
Um, so go to helpforhd.org to check out those dates and see about a scholarship um, because we do offer those. These are free events. Um, and we do have um, members of the HD community who will be speaking at these events. Um, Katie and Katrina have a lot of exciting things um, upcoming. So please make sure to tune in for that. And until next, guys, take care and love you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to visit www.help4hd.org and sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date on all that is going on at Help for HD. Get social with us and like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to Help for HD TV on YouTube and ring the bell for notifications.